the Business Buzz Podcast. You're tuned in to the Business Buzz. Good day and welcome to the Business Day for your weekly dose of business, finance and economics news right here on VOW FM. That's Voice of Vits. Uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios here in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. My name is Mbidio Mob Justice Gavazando, be your host for today. Now, who's to say that the world of business can't be entertaining? Definitely make sure you hold on to your seats as we seek to unpack and keep you entertained, educated and intrigued about the world of business. Now, tax is undoubtedly undoubtedly one of those things that plays a vital role in every aspect of our lives everything we spend money on includes tax however at a time when the government has committed to a 500 billion rand stimulus package and is at the same time projecting that it will collect up to 350 billion rand less than it expected at the start of the year the country's finances are actually squarely in focus and in the spotlight To make things worse, the COVID-19 pandemic has actually left many people and businesses with lower or no incomes to talk about. What does all of this mean as we head into tax season that is uh, set to begin next month? To sort of help us uh, navigate this topic, we'll be speaking to Dr. Sean Muller, a senior economics lecturer at the University of Johannesburg School of Economics, about the place of taxes in the economy and the state of the country's public finances. We then uh, switch over uh, to the micro level, the individual level, as we talk to Ntabelenga Sekabate, who is an executive under the tax department at ENS Africa, about how COVID-19 is likely to impact the upcoming tax collection period. So that's how the show is looking like. Also coming up, we're going to be getting into uh, the business wrap. That's a part of the show where we give you a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news. And then we'll get into the Buffalo Index where we tell you the state of your 100 rand. Now you can engage with us, talk to us on social media. On Facebook, we have our FM, that's Voice of Vids. You can also find our other Facebook page that is the Vids Radio Academy. On Twitter, we're at VowFM and our hashtag is hashtag business buzz and remember that you can stream us live uh, on vowfm.co.za podcasts of the business buzz show are available on uh, iono.fm apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcast most recently spotify as well and then for our other great content you can visit vids.journalism.co.za forward slash business so that's how the show is looking like make sure you don't turn that down. Keep it locked. This is 88.1. Business Rep with Lebo Pasha. It's time for us to get into the top trending business and economics news of the week. And on the line, we are joined by financial expert Lebo Pasha, who is the general manager for Southern Africa at the African Management Institute. Uh, Lebo, greetings to you. Um, greetings to you, Mudiwa and the Barclay. Now, I think, uh, you know, one of the places to begin is, uh, you know, what's going on in in New Zealand. I understand they've been a bit better about uh, handling this whole coronavirus situation. So, Mudiwa, the COVID situation keeps improving and getting worse in different parts of the world. So, we're celebrating New Zealand at the beginning of the week. They hadn't gotten any new um, COVID-19 cases uh, for a hundred days, and that was earlier on in the week. Up until a family has actually one family in 
um, Auckland has actually got infected and there's four cases all in the same family and it's suspected that this came from frozen food which was imported into New Zealand. So the situation keeps on changing with COVID but I think it all points to the fact that um, we're living in a very different world. Things are not going to go back to the way that they were before. I'm actually quite scared, you know, in that example. I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't heard uh, the actual circumstances that uh, that led to that new case, those new cases in New Zealand, and the fact that people are getting corona from frozen food. I feel like that's now that's now a new frontier, a whole new risk factor to be thinking about. Yeah, it sounds strange, but um, from an investigation that was done. Um, some publications are saying that there's a big possibility it could be from frozen food. Um, I think China has also reported um, some um, traces of COVID on frozen food that came from South America. So it, it is a possibility. I think it goes back again to um, maintaining good hygiene, wash your hands, wash your food, cook it thoroughly um, to make sure that you're killing any um, viruses or bacteria on, our, on your food. No, 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 that is real. Now, another consequence of uh, the lockdowns around coronavirus, especially in South Africa, has been uh, this ongoing battle between alcohol. Uh, You know, people want their alcohol. Uh, How is that looking on that end? You know, I'm hearing all types of rumors on this end. Yeah, so we've seen a very broad impact on our economy because of the banning of alcohol. And the the reasoning behind it um, has been given to us repeatedly by the government that the main consideration is the impact it has on um, capacity in public health care, in public hospitals, and casualty. Um, and I think we've all sort of accepted the reasoning. But on the flip side, it's causing a huge impact on our economy because restaurants um, are big sellers of alcohol and there are many livelihoods that are impacted by not being able to sell alcohol. So it's not just the production facilities. Um, We've seen both Heineken and um, AB InBev or SAP communicate that they're going to halt some of their CapEx or big expansion plans in the country because they're not getting any sales. And also there's all the other support industries in between um so your production your logistics um uh, participants the guys who get the beer to site and also um what we're seeing a huge reaction from is the restaurants because people who drink alcohol tend to stay a lot longer i assume at, at restaurants and that is really impacting sales because people know that they aren't able to get the alcohol there but strangely we've seen um the economist come out with an article saying that um not all the teapots in johannesburg um have tea so it's not just rooibos that's in these teapots it could possibly be other things that are probably drank with tonic <laughs> i'm actually i actually enjoyed that notion and i could literally see because i feel like it harkens back to that whole speak easy um sort of notion of uh you know the 19 uh, uh the 1910s uh, and 20s in america prohibition uh people coming up with all types of tricks um uh, to get uh to get their tea quote unquote uh apart from that uh, apart from that load shedding seems to have become another reality we're experiencing it over the last couple of days 
Yes, we're back to level two load shedding. Um, and I think this is going to hit the economy a lot harder again because um, nobody expected to have any load shedding during a lockdown when there's less activity and people are at home. Our biggest consumers of electricity are actually a big industry. So it is a bit strange having load shedding while we are in lockdown. So this is going to be a bit worrying as well for the economy, especially because people are now working from home. So it's a very different set of concerns from before. Um, I've personally been impacted by it. So working at home and not having power means that our internet connectivity is affected and you cannot be productive at home. So we're not sure what kind of impact it's going to have on the economy, but it's definitely not going to be good with everybody working from home. Uh, just as a follow-up to that one, do you not think that the impact might even be uh, further exacerbated if indeed, um, as some people suggest, we move to level two, um, as, as is being you know spoken about in some you know in, in some corners of the economy? If we do move to level two, that's practically. Uh, most business activities open and greater demand on the on the grid. Um, does the load shedding not then become in, an, an even higher risk then? It's going to definitely be a much higher risk because it means that um, electricity generation is not going to meet up with the demand that's going to be out there. We expect demand to increase significantly when we move to level two. Um, so definitely, I think um, we should be worried about how it's going to impact us. And the bigger impact now is because of people uh, no longer being centralized. You're not having meetings with your colleagues in a boardroom. Um, if one or two people are not present in certain meetings, there's probably decisions that can't be made. And even with the new businesses coming online, um, it would probably be um, the factories and other larger consumers of electricity that would be impacted Um on the production side, but on the services side and broad connectivity and, and ability to um, continue with commercial activities, I think will all be all be impacted in some way or another. Okay, cool. So that's been us with uh, Leo Pasha, who is uh, the general manager for Southern Africa at the African Management Institute, giving us a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news in our business wrap, talking about. Uh, the COVID-19 and how it's being managed in New Zealand um, on the global stage, then coming back home to talk about the effect of the alcohol ban on the economy and how it has stopped certain companies from actually spending um, some of their planned capital expenditure and then ending off uh, with some you know, concerning news uh, just around how we've started experiencing load shedding again and how that might be a bigger risk going forward, especially as people are working from home. So that's been it on the other side of this. We get into the business. Uh, we get into the business of your Buffalo in our Buffalo Index. Business Wrap with Lebo Pasha. Buffalo Index on the Business Buzz. In today's Buffalo Index, let's imagine for a moment that uh, your 100 rand was being taxed at uh, some of the highest tax rates in the world, um, where the, some of the highest uh, all-in average personal income tax rates at an average uh, wage rate for a single person with no children. So let's take that scenario. You have no children. Uh, this, these are the average, uh, you have an average wage, and we're going to relate and say if you were earning a hundred rand
land and we applied some of the world's highest um, tax rates, what would that actually mean? So at number five, if you were in Hungary, your 100 rand for every 100 rand that you would earn, you would be forking out 34 rand and 50 cents because their tax rate is 34.5%. In Austria, which is coming in at number four, you'd be forking out close to 35 rand or 34 rand and 90 cents because that's a 34.9% um, income tax rate. In Denmark, you are looking at 36.1% uh, or 36 rand for every buffalo that you'd be earning. And then the number two uh, goes to, you know, the economic powerhouse in Europe that is Germany. And for that country, you'd be paying 39.7%. At number one, if you found yourself in Belgium, for every 100 rand that you earn, you would be uh, forking over uh, 42 rand for every 100 rand um, to SARS. So that's what uh, your 100 rand looks like within the context of some of uh, the highest tax rates in the world. But whilst we are here, let's talk about the country's finances. According to Minister Tito Mboweni's supplementary budget uh, given a few months ago, SA's debt-to-GDP ratio is uh, expected to reach 82% uh, by uh, the end of this year. And what that basically means is it is a measurement of how much um, how much debt um, is actually going to be going to be paid back by the country as a proportion um, of each rand that is earned by the country. So if we say that at 82%, it means that for every 100 rand, for example, um, the government will have to, will be owing 82 rand to someone. And that's a somewhat conservative uh, projection that's been given there. Uh, some people actually have this closer to 90%, some even over 100%. So that's what the countries uh, buffaloes would look like if we were at the end of the day looking at each buffalo within that context so uh, that's what the buffalo index is looking like today uh, on the other side of this we get into the main topic the buffalo index on the business bus more justice on the business bus Welcome back to the Business Buzz. And uh, as we said at the start of the show today, we are talking about um, the country's taxes. We're talking about the tax season, which is coming up um, next month. And uh, before we get into it, though, remember that you can engage with us on Facebook. We have RFM, that's Voice of Vits. You can also find our other Facebook page, that is Vits Radio Academy. On Twitter, we're at VowFM, and then our hashtag is hashtag Business Buzz. Now, to start the conversation around uh, taxes, uh, we thought that we would uh, start by looking at the bigger picture, um, looking at what uh, taxes mean um, for our broader economy, because um, taxes are the money that is being used by our government uh, to do what it does, uh, taking care of our public finances, making sure that uh, schools, roads uh, are maintained, are developed and the like. And to sort of help us to unpack what the state um, of those public finances sort of looks like, we are joined on the line by Dr. Sean Muller, who is a senior lecturer at the University of Johannesburg's School of Economics. Uh, Dr. Sean, uh, greetings to you. Greetings. Thanks for having me. 
No, 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 no. Thank you. Um, I think just as a good jumping off point for our listeners, can you give us a sense of what uh, the country's public finances actually look like and mean? Because I think we we all dread paying taxes, but um, in the in the, in the bigger picture, what are we contributing to? Um, thanks. Well, I should say that public finances were not in a great state um, even before uh, the current pandemic and the lockdown that we've implemented in response to that. Um, if you go back to about 2014, 2015, uh, the Minister of Finance at the time, or Ministers of Finance, uh, were promising to stabilize national debts at around 40%, 50% of GDP, so 40 to 50% um, of the size of the economy. Um, and now in the most recent budget, the optimistic projection is that debt will rise to about uh, 90% of GDP. So things have become uh, dramatically worse. Um, and you know, they were already worse uh, before the pandemic because of slow economic growth. Um, tax collection was below what uh, the Treasury had expected or hoped for. Um, so you know, we were already in a difficult situation and that's only become um, more difficult. Um, you know, in relation to the actual usage of tax, of course, uh, I mean, your listeners will be well aware of the many issues of corruption, um, both, uh, you know, small scale, but also large scale when it comes to a very important um, infrastructure projects, whether social infrastructure or economic infrastructure. Um, and so that's really, uh, it, it's, a, it's a big issue, both in terms of um, service delivery, economic growth, and then, of course, tax payment itself, because if citizens don't believe that their taxes are being uh, properly used, um, they're going to do as much as they can to uh, avoid paying taxes, which is just going to compound the problem further. Uh, sort of as a follow-up to that, uh, I think each year we sort of hear some projections coming out from uh, coming out from the South African Revenue Service, which collects taxes on behalf of the government, and we hear their projections. And I think roughly over the last two to three years, they've been collecting about you know 1.2 to maybe 1.5 trillion rand um, each year. Is that to say that's how much money the government actually spends? in a year or is that just uh, part of the funding that actually goes into what the government needs to do? Right, so it's a good indication of how much the government spends, but um, every year, uh, well, in um, in pretty much all recent years, uh, the government um, has a has a deficit, which means that it spends more than it raises in taxes, and to cover that deficit, it borrows um, from local and uh, and international lenders. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that; uh, it makes sense. In, in many instances for governments to borrow, um, to fund investment, um, and to a lesser extent to, to fund service delivery. The question is whether the borrowing um, generates uh, economic growth or, or revenue that we'll, we can ultimately use to pay that back. And the problem in the South African situation um, in, in the last decade in particular, since the financial crisis in 2008, and then the poor governance under the Zuma administration uh, subsequent to that, is that um, government debt's been, uh, been increasing, so the government's been mor- borrowing more and more, um, but 
the economy has not been uh, growing faster. And if anything, economic growth has been slowing down or, 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 or becoming negative. And tax collection, uh, as I said before, has repeatedly been lower than expected. So the result is we've been borrowing all this money, but it's not yielding uh, the desired return, which means at some point we're not going to be, if we carry on this uh, trajectory, at some point we're not going to be able to pay it back. And to sort of further exacerbate what you what you're talking about, we've heard a lot even before um, COVID nineteen came into effect about a shrinking tax base. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I once heard um, that about ten percent of the country's population is the one that's actually contributing to the to the pot. Uh, that's actually that's actually the the collections from SARS. How do you think the all of these issues have been? Um, I guess further exacerbated by COVID nineteen. Right. So I'm not I'm not entirely sure whether the tax base was shrinking um, prior to the pandemic or if it was just stagnating. Um, the difference being, you know, so essentially staying the same proportion of the population, um, whereas what we would actually like is for a, a, a growing proportion of the population to be paying uh, to be paying tax. Um, the thing is that the Treasury and SARS did manage to increase the tax base from uh, the mid uh, to late 1990s, you know, basically from the apartheid era, partly by lowering tax rates and bringing more people into, into the net. Um, and that paid off at the time. Um, but you see, the thing is that, of course, when economic activity uh, slows down, um, there are just going to be less people who are able to contribute. Um, and, you know, so in that sense, the best way of uh, growing the tax base is to grow the economy. Um, the fact that uh, there's a relatively, you know, the fact that there's a relatively small proportion of the population who are contributing to tax is sometimes uh, framed in a rather dubious way um, to sort of emphasize the role those individuals are playing and so forth. And yes, that's true to a degree, but of course it also reflects the fact that we live in a highly unequal society. So, you know, a large proportion of the population are unemployed. You can't exactly expect them to pay tax, can you? Um, and then there are others who are employed but living off uh, very low wages. So, you know, partly it's a function of um, the fact that the economy hasn't grown as we would like. And partly it's a function of uh, of very high rates of inequality. And now with the pandemic, you know, it's just made the situation so much worse because, um, well, first of all, with with the lockdown, uh, the lockdown shut down. Uh, large parts of the economy, um, and so naturally, uh, those parts will uh, will have less capacity to pay tax. Whether we're talking about the companies paying tax on profits or the uh, employees paying tax on their earnings, um, and uh, you know, the, the the medium to long term effects will likely be that there'll be you know parts of those sectors will simply not recover. So definitely, the pandemic um, and our responses to the pandemic um, will shrink the tax base. I think there's no doubt about that. And 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 further to, it's as if we just keep adding issues. You know, if I was if I was the finance minister, it just seems as if um, things just keep getting worse. Because on top of all that, you've got an alcohol and tobacco ban, and you have players in those industries arguing that um, the closure of their industries is actually going to lead to even less money being collected by the government is that is that true um, it's definitely true on the face of it. I think the question is, how do we interpret that? And one thing that's been slightly frustrating is that one doesn't see a lot of balance in the public domain about these things. Um, it's been interesting for me that there's been quite a lot of what I would call uh, slight hysteria about 
some tobacco and alcohol bans and comparatively little attention to the actual question of what is the country's strategy in relation to the pandemic and you know the lockdown strategy more broadly. Um, I think it's important to see the alcohol and, and tobacco bans as really sub-issues within that bigger issue, which is actually not being given as much attention as it deserves. Um, but putting that to one side, um, yes, it's true, you know, the government levies so-called sin taxes on, on cigarettes and alcohol. And, and the argument for that is is twofold. On the one hand, is to try and discourage people um, from over-consuming uh, uh, those goods because um, uh, they are harmful to individuals' health. Um, and the other is to is to raise money, uh, actually, in principle, to counteract some of those effects. So if you raise more money through taxes, you can direct that money to the health system that ultimately has to deal with the consequences of excessive alcohol and, and cigarette consumption. Um, but at the same time, it's also important to remember that um, uh, you know, in economics, we talk about money being fungible. Um, consumption by consumers is is, is flexible. So um, you know, if we imagine if there's an alcohol ban and people don't consume alcohol at all, they, they, they then have money that they could spend on other things. So it could be that the money gets spent in other parts of the economy. It's not, and the way one sees it framed in the media sometimes, and particularly by these industries, is that the money just vanishes into thin air. Uh, and that's misleading. Um, maybe where the concerns are a bit more valid is when it comes to the illicit market. Um, so when people are buying cigarettes or alcohol illegally under the current lockdown, um, people are still spending that money. The producers or the or the or the middlemen are still are still getting it, but the government is now not getting any tax revenue at all, um, or at least you know during that during during those transactions. Um, and so then you know that that does create a, a certain uh, set of problems. Um, but you see again. And the question here is about the interaction between public policy relating to the pandemic and public health and these economic questions. Um, and so, you know, I think, again, we need to, we need to put them in, in a broader context because, after all, um, many, uh, many people in the media and other commentators happily accepted the strict lockdown that was implemented for a long period of time, um, you know, when we first started trying to confront the, uh, the pandemic um, without, uh, without a lot of explanation from the government, without a lot of transparency. And that shut down, you know, a very large proportion of the economy. But, you know, the government's indicated that it will um, keep considering the merits uh, of these two restrictions on alcohol and tobacco. And uh, as you probably know, and your, your, your listeners know, um, there are some indications that they might lift some of the restrictions. Um, but, you know, hopefully those are based on broad considerations about overall uh, public benefits, not just questions of taxation. And on that uh, issue of taxation and also the policies um, that you're talking about, it does sound like the that national treasury has a bit of a conundrum uh, on its hand on its hands because you've got rising costs and a fix and a fiscus that needs to be um, spending more money to cope with uh, the current uh, the current crisis but at the same time you have a, a a funding crisis which you know to your point might not be as bad um, as some people you know suggest because you know the money for that would have been spent on alcohol and cigarettes might find itself being spent on other goods and services um, in the economy. Do you think this might be a good time uh, for people to be looking at uh, some of the other tax policies that have caused controversy in the past? Um, I'm just thinking about wealth taxes, for example. I, Looking at the data, it seems as if personal income tax makes up um, the, the the broadest uh, contribution to taxes. But uh, I definitely stand to be corrected. What do you think? 
Well, I should say that I'm not um, I'm not diminishing the seriousness of the financing uh, situation. It, it's very serious, um, and that's reflected in the fact that we just took a 70 billion rand loan from the IMF. I think that was the right move, um, but it is indication of where we're at. So all I'm saying is that the way in which the, t the tobacco and um, alcohol issues are presented is sometimes overly simplistic, but the financing situation is certainly serious. Um, yes, and so, I mean, the Treasury uh, the Treasury and the broader government have got some very difficult decisions to make, and I certainly don't em envy them in that regard. When it comes to taxes, you know, the one thing that surprised me is that the Treasury didn't seek to introduce a special income tax um, in this year's uh, tax proposals that were presented to Parliament. I, I find that slightly mind-boggling because um, we know that we're in a serious uh, fiscal situation. Surely it makes sense to get individuals and companies that are still uh, earning uh, relatively high incomes or relatively high profits um, to pay a larger share. Uh, maybe that will happen uh, uh, next year or in subsequent years. The alternative, uh, you know, that would be very easy to do because you just change the, um, the, the marginal income tax rates, uh, for example, at the upper levels, um, or you increase the, the, corporate, uh, the corporate profit uh, tax rate. Um, but the alternative, as you say, is to introduce new tax instruments. And there has been a lot of talk about a wealth tax. The thing about the wealth tax is that administratively, it's not that straightforward because it would be a new mechanism. It would be on wealth uh, rather than on income. Um, and so, you know, there are various uh, measures that would need to be put in place to make sure that people's wealth is accurately measured, that people don't uh, manage to evade or, or avoid that tax too easily. Um, so that's something that could only really happen, my sense is, if one looks at the statements made by the Davis Tax Committee, which looked at this, um, it's something that could only happen over, say, two to five years. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing that I think we need to be frank about is that, uh, you know, my own view is that a wealth tax in South Africa should have been introduced as part of the post-apartheid settlement. Um, it should have been, uh, you know, part of reclaiming back uh, wealth that was made um, by the white population largely in South Africa during the apartheid period. And unfortunately, many, many of the beneficiaries have uh, moved that wealth overseas or they themselves have moved. Um, you know, so bringing in a wealth tax at this point is is frankly a little late, um, but I guess better, better late than never. Um, but the, the extent which is going to be able to help us with the current fiscal situation is unclear. And then briefly as we end off, uh, what's your outlook for the country's uh, public finances, I guess, in the short to medium term? Um, well, it's not very good. Uh, I think, as I said, you know, the optimistic scenario presented by the Treasury in, in, the most, um, in its adjustment budget uh, to the budget that was presented before the pandemic in February, um, you know, suggested that debt's going to go to about 90% of GDP. The pessimistic uh, scenario is, you know, 110% or above. Um, and the thing is that the higher that ratio gets, the less likely we are to, or the more likely we, we are to experience a fiscal crisis. But ultimately, what it's going to rest on is is the recovery of the economy. And on that front, you know, the Treasury has been proposing a set of structural reforms. Um, and in principle, yes, we need structural reforms because clearly the economy is not growing. It's being held back by structural factors. Unfortunately, my view is that the structural reforms put on the table by the Treasury are largely unconvincing. They're just a rehashing of slightly ideological positions that were put forward in the 1990s and to some extent not accepted. Um, so that doesn't fill me with great com confidence in the ability of the uh, current government to get the economy growing. And without that, uh, the Treasury and the Cabinet will be left with no option really but to start slashing uh, public expenditure in order to keep debt under control. Um, and the thing is that once the government reduces its spending, then that 
that that uh, that itself slows the economy down. So the danger then is you get into sort of this uh, this, this austerity situation where that Greece did, where you, you know you're cutting public spending, um, and at the same time by cutting public spending you're harming the economy, which makes you have to cut public spending more. So that's that's a situation we really need to avoid. But how to do it is is unclear. So frankly, the um, my expectations, along with those of, of unfortunately many others, um, are, are quite gloomy. Um, and really, I'm just hoping that we will be able to get through this. Um, without uh, without a fiscal crisis and without um, overly uh, harmful effects on, on on the majority of the population, especially uh, the most vulnerable. So that's been us with uh, Dr. Uh, Sean uh, Sean Muller, who is a senior uh, senior lecturer at uh, the University of Johannesburg School of Economics, just giving us a you know sort of high level insights and uh, some thoughts around what the state of public finances are, uh, the contribution um, that all of our taxes are you know sort of giving to the state and the different funding options that are available to the government. Also, just talking about the fact that uh, going forward uh, it's, public finances are not in a, are likely not to be in a pretty state um, we're hearing of an optimistic situation of 90% of GDP in terms of debt uh, whereas the pessimistic sees it at uh, over 100% so things just need to be right sized the economy just needs to grow so on the other side of this we're going to be getting a little bit more personal uh, talking about how you actually contribute uh, to the South African tax base. Keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. You're tuned in to the Business Buzz. In our COVID business uh, watch, we take a look at the impact of COVID-19 and what it has had on uh, various businesses and industries in and around South Africa. Now for today, our producer Simbarashe Honde went and spoke to James Morelang, who is a fashion designer operating his brand, James Presents. Um, and we basically asked him as a fashion designer, how has COVID-19 um, actually impacted his business uh, together with uh, in what ways uh, the pandemic, subsequently the lockdowns and its regulations have actually forced him to look um, outside the box, perhaps to rethink um, how business is done. And secondly, um, uh, how has this period actually influenced um, the creativity and the designs? And then lastly, what lessons um, have actually been learned uh, so far and what advice uh, he would give to some uh, fellow designers out there? Here's what he had to say say as a fashion designer COVID-19 has definitely affected my business in the context of immediate sales because you know needless to say we do not have any events happening so one of my strongest um, opportunities was you know wedding season and people are constantly requesting custom-made garments so because everyone is at home you kind of have to rethink your plans a little differently. But sales have definitely been affected as a result of COVID-19, and incredibly so. The pandemic has definitely forced me to start thinking a little bit outside the box, because as a result, I found myself having to look at how else do people relax at home and making garments that are a little bit more i guess casual versus the more dressy items that i used to make and thank goodness i started 
digging a little deeper into myself creatively and there are a range of relaxed items that I started to look at um, and creating which people really responded well to so I think that really has helped me a lot in that sense and it has definitely influenced my creativity and the way that I approach my design process. The lessons that I would say I've learned thus far in my business is to never be scared of making mistakes. The most important thing is to allow yourself to learn from those mistakes. And in terms of the advice that I have for fellow designers, I would say look at this time that we are in as an opportunity to be innovative, to be creative. I am not discouraged by the idea that we do not, we are starting to see several businesses closing down. This is our opportunity to push ourselves. Most importantly, as young entrepreneurs, this is honestly our opportunity to push, to be excited, to have a sense of drive, a greater sense of ambition. Push and push and push. Trust me, it will not go unnoticed. It will be so, so worth it in the end. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, you can follow our page on Facebook. It is James Presents. And on Instagram, it's james.presents. We hope you like what you see there. Thank you so much. Not justice on the business bars. We continue our conversation around uh, taxes in the country. We've um, given you an insight into what the place of taxes is in uh, the broader economy in terms of the government funding its activity. But right now we want to maybe drill down um, onto sort of the micro or the individual level and uh, just talk about what tax season is actually going to be looking like um, as uh, from uh, next month going forward. And to help us unpack these things, we are joined by Antabe Leng uh, Sekabate, who is an executive under the tax department at ENS Africa. And Tabeleng, uh, welcome to you. This is not the first time we actually had you around the same time last year and, you know, vastly different circumstances that we are now talking to you on. Um, how have you been? Thanks for having me on. Um, I've been fine. I've been plodding along. I think we all have to adjust to this new normal. So I've been carrying on. No, 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 no. Thank you for, for, for joining us and uh, hopefully we can shed some light uh, for for the listeners just around how people can continue uh, whilst being tax compliant at the same time. So to begin with, uh, a lot of people don't know, when is tax filing season actually starting this year? Um, tax filing season actually opens on the 1st of September this year. Uh, but SARS has introduced a new auto assessment system and I say that in parentheses um, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're doing the auto assessments during the month of August so that should simplify um, filing your return for most taxpayers quite a bit and uh, for for people as a tax expert uh, would you advise people to take uh, those uh, auto-generated um, things sort of as Bible or is there still a human input that still needs to be done there? 
really an auto-assessment. It's called an auto-assessment. But what SARS is actually doing is they're doing the filing of your return for you. So when you get the SMS saying, you know, this is your assessment results, whether you owe SARS money or they owe you money, you still need to log on to um, the SARS e-filing um, platform or the Mobi app, and you still need to look at the return that has already been populated for you and either accept the assessment or edit it when you don't agree with something. So they that simplified it in that the form is filled out for you, the actual return is filled out for you, but you still need to go back and check that everything is correctly done um, and then accept it. So if you get your SMS, it doesn't mean that, you know, everything is done for you and you can just sit back and relax. You still need to go and accept that assessment for it to become, you know, final. And and for all of that, uh, it's an interesting time for them to be bringing in um, these uh, these sort of new changes, part of the way to uh, make things a bit easier for, for people to file their taxes. But I wanted to switch over just for a quick moment uh, to speak about the moment that we are in, that is, uh, you know, COVID-19. Has this had any impact or do you think it will have an impact on how a tax filing season is actually going to go? Because I can imagine there are a lot of implications when uh, we're considering that a lot of uh, businesses have shut down, people don't have incomes, or they've reduced their incomes. What type of um, impacts are you sort of um, either already dealing with or thinking about going forward? Well, I think SARS is very behind on their collection targets, um, which are set by um, National Treasury at the beginning of, of, of the financial year. Um, we're quite a bit behind. Even before COVID-19 hit, um, SARS needed to collect an extra $40 billion, um, in order to make their targets. And now that COVID-19 has come, you know, obviously that gap has gotten bigger and bigger. So we have a big um, tax collection problem in the country, and and that is not just as a result of taxpayers being errant or SARS not enforcing um, the collection, you know, rights. But it's also because, like you say, a lot of businesses have closed down, a lot of people have lost their jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it is looking quite bleak at the moment, and we'll have a lot to do after after COVID passes in terms of trying to catch up and see how the economy can recover. Um, and as far as how that impacts SARS's operation, I think the self-assessment tool is a really good development uh, because it makes it easier for for taxpayers to actually comply with their, their financial obligations um, timelessly. Um, and also, a lot of taxpayers, you know, there might be some doubts about the where SARS is getting the information to do your return, et cetera, et cetera. So all of your information is available to SARS um, from your employer, from financial institutions such as banks, from your medical aid schemes, um, your retirement annuity fund administrators and other third-party data providers. So SARS, you know, does have access to that information and I think it's quite wise of them to make use of that information to simplify the process of submitting returns for taxpayers. So it's going to be very interesting going forward. I think this is very innovative from uh, on behalf of SARS for them to come up with something like this because then you don't have taxpayers who are lagging behind and not, for instance, submitting their returns. Because if you do it for taxpayers and 
then they agree with the assessment. It just simplifies life for everybody. All of these developments and uh, the innovation that you're talking about um, as, 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 as a good step forward on the, on the side of SARS is all in an effort to make sure that uh, ordinary South Africans are more tax compliant. What actually happens when an individual is non-compliant or actually owes SARS? tools at their disposal that they can use. So if, for instance, a taxpayer just doesn't submit their return at all, um, then they charge interest on any tax that's payable on that. And they can hit you with administrative non-compliance penalties. So the longer you wait to submit your return, the more the interest and the penalties piles up, right? So that's the first thing. Um, And also, if you don't pay SARS, SARS actually can send you a letter of demand um, and also find third parties that owe you money. So, for instance, if you have a debtor out there somewhere um, and they haven't paid you, SARS can go to your debtor and say, don't pay taxpayer A, actually give that money to me. Um, And also SARS has the power to go into your bank account and take the money. So if, for instance, you don't pay SARS for long periods of time and they've sent you a letter of demand and you still don't make payments of your obligations, then they can actually go into your bank account and take the money, you know, without your consent. That's actually that's actually quite deep uh, in terms of the powers that SARS does have. But on the side of enforcement, do you, do you see the current economic crisis affecting SARS's uh, ability to enforce uh, those rules. Do you see that as an impediment? Uh, Do you see them perhaps taking a more compassionate uh, sort of view on the enforcement of uh, tax laws because of the strain that uh, consumers just are under at the moment? Not at all. Um, So you remember SARS has you know, a duty to collect taxes in terms of the SARS Act and in terms of the Tax Administration Act and all of the other tax acts. So SARS must collect what is due to the states from taxpayers. So there is no room for compassion on the side of SARS. Um, if a taxpayer is struggling to make payment of their obligations, then they should enter into a payment arrangement with SARS or something similar. But you can't just sit at home and think that SARS is going to show you any sort of compassion. Like I say, SARS is behind on collection targets. And, you know, this obviously means that the government has less money to implement its programs and, and, you know, give to grants and for roads and for all these social programs that we need. So there is no room, unfortunately, um, where SARS has a discretion not to collect tax. They, They must collect the tax. So if you are unable to make payment of your tax obligations, you should um, approach SARS and ask for some sort of payment arrangement. And like I say to you, it's a desperate time for everybody and it's a desperate time for SARS as well. You know, they they have a job to do. Um, We all understand, you know, what impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on everybody, on consumers and SARS alike. Um, So, you know, you should actually take a proactive stance if you're unable to make payments of your tax and make an arrangement with SARS. I I don't foresee that there'll be any compassion uh, forthcoming from SARS. Um, National Treasury did release some tax relief bills where, because of COVID-19, you know, they've made some concessions. 
but obviously this has to be introduced into the legislation and SARS needs to follow the tax legislation. So that's as far as the wiggle room for SARS goes. Um, it has to be in compliance with the legislation. It just certainly does sound, uh, you know, one of those things. Uh, I was actually laughing to myself when you, um, when you started uh, talking earlier on when, about the compassion and you just flat out said no. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, we, and, and I think the way that you did explain it that things are, are hard on both sides, uh, both the side of the consumer. And also the side of SARS itself, which is, uh, you know, vastly behind um, on its uh, tax collection regime right now. Um, but, you know, as, as, a, as a point of interest, um, what type of uh, tax questions or tax law questions uh, has COVID-19 actually brought about, you know, that in a normal situation, um, you know, year in, year out, there's certain trends you become used to. But what type of interesting questions have you noted uh, that COVID-19 has brought about um, in line with tax? Well, because filing season for individuals um, just started, auto-assessments and actually only really starts on the 1st of September. Uh, on the side of individual taxpayers, there hasn't really been any, any impacts or queries because obviously the last tax year closed quite a bit before we were hit by the COVID pandemic. Um, the biggest impact you actually see is on companies, um, you know, who are operating and kind of have to submit provisional tax returns and things of that nature. So they've actually, National Treasury has granted special concessions to companies where they actually grant them deductions from their, from their taxable income of expenditure, for instance, you know, incurred in relation to um, curbing the COVID-19 spread of, of the infections or, you know, expenditure incurred for assisting employees in, in carrying on with their work, um, you know, with these changed kind of work circumstances that we have and things like that. So for individuals, I don't think that the impact is, is immediate. You can't really see the impact. Um, it's just for mostly for companies and employers where the relief has been granted. Okay, cool. So in our in the last part, uh, because uh, it is Women's Month, and in that spirit, we just wanted to get your take, um, sort of shifting a little bit uh, from the normal tax conversation, uh, to just get your take on um, as a black woman in corporate, um, what kind of uh, transformative action. Uh, would you actually like to see happening or have been happy to see um, in the legal profession? Well, in the legal profession. So the legal profession is still quite um, behind in terms of transformation, um, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it's just the state of, of, of how things are at the moment. Um, my, my advice to any aspiring kind of legal practitioners would be, you know, just get your foot in the door. You know, that's the first thing you need to do. So if you can make sure that you have the best kind of um, CV from straight out of university. So the work starts at university and I learned this lesson the hard way, you know, because in university I was just studying and, and that was that. But you should try to get some vacation work that some of the big firms do and some of the small firms do. So apply as much as you can for um, the VAC work programs that the companies have. Make sure your, your marks are really good. You know, just make sure you have the best chance 
stepping out of university. That's the first thing. The second thing, most people leave applying for articles too late. Um, so when you want to apply for articles, you should start thinking about where you want to go from second year university already, right? So you should start doing your research, seeing what kind, which field of law you want to be involved in, what firms are out there, what firms you think that you would want to apply to, and then in third year, then submit, start submitting your, your applications for articles. Because it becomes very difficult if you leave it until your final year in university to actually um, apply for articles. And a lot of, of young people don't know this, and you know it, it, you become shocked and surprised in your, in your final year, say, 2020 is your final year in university and then you start submitting your applications and then you find out some of the firms are actually already recruiting for 2022 you know so my my advice would be start as early as possible and get your cv start working on your cv as early as possible at varsity level already second i would say the most important thing for black women especially is to get your foot in the door Right. So once you have those articles, you now have one foot in the door. And it is difficult. I won't lie to you. <laughs> it's quite tricky because, you know, you are surrounded by uh, a majority of the time people that don't look like you. Right. And usually nobody in the room looks like you. But if you, I think, are passionate about what you do, that's the first thing, because you will hate any job that you're not passionate about. And second, if you find a mentor, preferably in the space that you work in, right? So a mentor, and it doesn't have to be another black woman. It doesn't have to be another black man. It can just be anybody who you kind of gel with, who can walk you through the maze of corporate South Africa. So it is very difficult and there's landmines and everything. So you, you do need somebody who can kind of, you know, um, you can talk to about dealing with certain kinds of, of situations and, and trying to navigate your way through. And the final thing I would say is, besides a mentor, you should try to find yourself a sponsor, okay? And your sponsor, mentorship and sponsorship, uh, sponsorship are two different things. So mentorship is, you know, I'm guiding you in your personal kind of life. I don't get involved in, in anything sort of, you know, I'm just a listening ear and I'm just there to advise you. Whereas sponsorship is somebody who is personally invested in your growth within the company. So um, obviously your sponsor would need to be somebody within the company who has some kind of sway, you know, some kind of influence, who can actually sponsor your your uh, progression up the ladder. So somebody who can be your cheerleader, um, somebody who can be your defender when you need, uh, but it's just about building those solid, solid relationships. And like I say, it is tough. And um, you will have, unfortunately, situations of of racism, sexism, whatever other isms that you will face, um, especially as a black woman. But, you know, it, it's possible. It can be done. And especially if you have someone that can hold your hand through it all, that's the most important thing, I think. 
So that was us with Ntabeleng Sekabate, who is an executive under the tax department at ENS Africa, just giving us uh, some insight into what the tax filing season is going to be looking like um, this year that starts on the 1st of uh, September. And uh, she's just saying that, guys, just because COVID-19 is happening does not mean you should be sitting at home and hoping that uh, SARS is going to be compassionate about what's going on in the economy. I mean, people need to be proactive and just make sure that they take the necessary steps um, to be compliant. Ending off, just talking about what it means, uh, what corporate South Africa is looking like as a black uh, female professional. And she's talking about um, making sure that you get that experience even before you get into uh, formal working, vac work, talking about getting mentors and also making the differentiation between having a mentor and actually having a sponsor who is invested in your personal growth. So that's been it on the other side of this. We come to the end of the show. The, the Business Buzz. So that's it in terms of uh, this edition of uh, The Business Buzz. Thank you so much uh, to Dr. Sean Muller from um, the UJ for just sharing some insights into the state of public finances. It's actually quite dire uh, just hearing how much uh, how much burden the state actually has to take on uh, to fund some of its activities uh, together with uh, Ntabeleng uh, Sekabate from uh, ENS Africa. You know, just highlighting the fact that um, apart from... If if you got if you got a salary decrease or something like that, then your tax went down. That's as far as any relief is actually gonna go. Just make sure that you are tax compliant from that point of view. So that's been it. Uh, my thoughts is that tax it's just one of those things, and it's gonna become very important um, going forward, especially in this position that the government finds itself where they need to be funding all of these social activities, all these social programs um, to help South Africans with the effects uh, of COVID-19. But at the same time, you have a tax base that is relatively small and uh, somewhat stagnant, like what uh, Dr. Muller was talking about. And how the government funds itself going forward will be an important consideration and will place either an additional burden on us in future, especially if it goes beyond a certain point. And there is always that looming uh, risk of a debt crisis going forward. Let us know what you think. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, that's Vow Film of West of Vitz. You can also find our other Facebook page. That is the Vitz Radio Academy. On Twitter, we're at Vow FM and our hashtag is hashtag business buzz. You can also search for us on iono.fm uh, for our podcasts. And you can also find our other podcasts on vitz.journalism.co.za uh, forward slash business. So with that, we've reached uh, the end of the show. Thank you to our amazing team. Our technical producer is Kutlano Serame, together with our executive producer, Glory Mabuza. Our producers are Slin Lemusibi and Taro Trimba, together with the Simbarashe Honde. Don't miss the business pass, same time, same place next week for more insight into the world of business. Don't turn that down. There's more great content coming up on the VAL FM lineup. So for myself, Mario Mob Justice Gawaza, and the rest of the team, it is Take Care. More justice on the business bus. The business bus podcast.